0: This is a Technicon podcast.
1: It's not always obvious, but responsible technology activities often benefit from some ethical guidance and considerations. And this stands to reason. After all, technology projects may bring to light new ethical issues which didn't exist before the technology did. Hello and welcome. I'm Peter Ballant from Technicon. And this is our podcast series called Ethics and Technology, a Prerequisite for European Research. We look at H-2020 research projects in Europe and what role ethics guidance has in order to bring them to successful conclusion. With this guidance, technology outcomes are less likely to be plagued by unintended consequences and exclusions of humanitarian sensitivities. It's now becoming customary to install ethics experts in technology-related projects, but to what end, and how can we ensure that the value in ethics policies are realized by the entire consortium? To help us get a better understanding of how this all comes together, we welcome Rebecca Roach, a British philosopher and senior lecturer at Royal Holloway University of London, and Jonathan Sieglo, associate professor in the Department of Politics, International Relations, and Philosophy, also at Royal Holloway. Together, they inform the X-Files Project Consortium about ethical considerations, which will come to light in this highly technical endeavor to create tools and methods to unlock mobile telephones, which have been taken into evidence by law enforcement agencies. Thank you both for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having us. Thank
1: you. Rebecca, we'll start with you. When it comes to ethics, we often follow precedents or what has been suggested, ruled, or practiced in the past. But we're talking about technology projects now. And in many cases, there is no precedent. So how is this handled?
0: Yeah, this is this is tricky. Um, I mean, by following a precedent, we, we kind of have an easy approach that we can just do whatever, or follow whatever ethical norms have been established already, which may or may not be the correct ones, but... Um, you know, at least by following precedent, it's, it's going to be fairly uncontroversial. So we're talking here about police access to encrypted data on people's mobile phones. And we don't have a clear precedent for that. So I think probably the closest we have is something like circumstances where uh, the police gain the authority to enter somebody's home and look around whether or not the, the person who lives there is is happy with that. With mobile phone encrypted data, it's it's a bit more difficult because they can't do that. Encrypted data is difficult to get into without the right sort of, you know, the, without the encryption key, which mobile phone uh, manufacturers claim not to be able to provide or, or maybe sort of really can't provide. They kind of have to hack their way into it. That That's kind of what happens at the moment. Um, where we might be worried centres around the issue of sort of To to what extent is encrypted data comparable to the stuff you have lying around in your home? um a lot of us use our phones almost like a sort of outsourced memory you know we use it to, we, we sort of have uh, t- 10 years ago we might have remembered phone numbers of our friends and family probably many of us don't anymore we store it in our phones instead it contains our photos correspondence a lot lots of stuff that we are we store on our phones under the assumption that because it's encrypted nobody else is ever going to see it so it's almost less like uh, the, the data you have on your phone is. It, it, there's a sense in which it's less like the possessions you have in your home and more like the thoughts you have in your head, and this this makes it tricky to decide what to do ethically. Um, for one thing, because there's an issue around you know this is this is new. What what do we say about it? Um, is how important is an individual's privacy? Is it more important than um, the 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 interests of the police uh, and the public in general to have um, criminal investigations take place. I mean, you asked about precedent, and I think there's a difficulty here with uh, what precedent to follow, but there's also a concern about what precedent might we be setting here with any decisions we make. We don't know how technology is going to be used in the future, and however it's used... Uh, when people come to make decisions about how data should be protected, under what circumstances the state should get access to individuals' data and so on, um, they're going to be looking at uh, what decisions have already been made. So they're going to be treating decisions that we make about um, access to encrypted data on mobile phones as a precedent. And that might be quite worrying. So if you imagine in the future, if it becomes possible to store data Um, Instead of on on your mobile phone, if if people in the future start using implanted devices, for example, to, I don't know, to to sort of increase their memory, then if legislators in the future look to what we're doing now and think, well, there's a precedent for law enforcement agencies to access encrypted data. And if that were later used to justify uh, accessing the data that's actually implanted in people, then we might think that is a bit a bit more intrusive, sort of more intrusive than we would like, Uh, certainly more comparable to accessing the thoughts in your head. So I think, you know, as well as making decisions about, you know, the the issue at hand, you know, what are our rights to privacy when it comes to mobile phones? We also have to be sort of almost sort of groping in the dark, thinking how might the decisions we make now be applied to uh, technology that arises in the future, and we don't know what that's going to be.
1: Okay, so the, what's happening right now is is actually could have uh, qu- quite a bit of impact on how things are handled in the future when it comes to ethics. Um, Jonathan, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Well, I think there are real questions which we haven't always encountered before in the era of the kind of very sophisticated mobiles we have now. One might be whose data actually is it, who owns it? On the one hand, we think of it as private information, which we share with only selected others, or sometimes only ourselves. But at the same time, that's only enabled because of certain technology, because of these mobile devices and the networks. And therefore, if if the kind of data we have is only possible because of new developments in technology, you might think, well, they have some kind of claim over it because they they enable us to own certain kinds of data. So, you know, it, it makes a big difference when you're using something like a mobile as opposed to an old-fashioned sort of notebook you'd write things on. Also, of course, the sheer range of data we're now collecting, not just contacts of people, but perhaps quite personal medical information or information about your employment history, all sorts of things which we really have very strong interest in keeping privately, which we wouldn't have collected previously. I would agree with Rebecca's point that we are setting um, precedents and we can... Look forward to a world perhaps or a dystopic world where potentially huge amounts of data could be accessed by law enforcement authorities you know for good reasons but raising these privacy issues but i think rebecca and i wouldn't want to see ourselves as engaging in a kind of top-down model where ourselves as ethicists or the more technical participants in the x-files project are simply in the long run, kind of instructing other citizens, other parties in society, what these precedents should be. We want to see what we're doing as more of a kind of democratic conversation, and the reports we write in the XFAS project, as more as part of a conversation which citizens should have with each other, with themselves, about how we're going to resolve these issues in the future, because in a democratic society, law enforcement agencies should be accountable to the people they serve. So it's ultimately their interests which matter, and it shouldn't be anyone sort of proclaiming what they think their view is and instructing the rest. So precedence should be sort of worked out in a reasonably public and democratic manner rather than a sort of very elite
1: expert manner. Okay, and this makes complete sense. Now, you mentioned the technical part of a project, and I'm wondering, you know, when I look at an H-2020 project in Europe, for example, uh, let's say I'm outside looking in, I might observe that the ethics contingent in a project is not comprised of technical individuals usually, and it's the same in reverse too. So what's the best way to handle this knowledge gap between collaborators in a project?
0: Um yeah I think this is it's a double-edged sword and you get this with with interdisciplinary research in general you know on on the one hand the, the discoveries we want to make about the world don't slot neatly into the categories that uh that, that correspond to university departments so you know it often happens that interesting questions we want to address will require uh, an approach involving researchers from various disciplines and with sort of various educations and, and pools of knowledge. And that's what we've got here. So we've got the, you know, the the, the computer experts, the legal people. Jonathan and I don't fall into either of those categories. Uh, and then we're doing the ethics part. And it, it gets easier as time passes uh, because, you know, I think Jonathan and I understand more about the, the technical aspects of smartphone encryption than we did at the start of the project. Um, but certainly you're kind of groping in the dark in a, in a way because, you know, the, the, ethical, the ethical principles we, we might suggest are uh, premised on certain assumptions about what the technology can do. And those assumptions are often sort of quite naive or incorrect for various reasons. I mean, the way that we have been approaching it is by having regular discussions with the more technical Researchers on the project, so sort of having regular meetings to where we, where Jonathan and I explain what we've been doing, sort of share our drafts, and having a discussion where the more technical guys have an opportunity to say, oh, "Actually, you know, in this, uh, in this paragraph, you're making this assumption, which is actually incorrect," um, or they can sort of refer to. Uh, past you know historical cases that might be relevant for for us to look at of you know sort of arguments about how data is accessed and what the technology involved is doing so an example that we've discussed in the past has been the debate around key escrow accounts, which is where you have an individual has some private data and uh, there might potentially be somebody some sort of state body who wants access to it in the future, so then you kind of have a um, one solution is to have the data, or the the key to the data, to access the data held by some independent party, and th- there are sort of uh, costs and benefits of of doing that. But that's uh, that's a case that is sort of has some relevance to the to the issue that we're uh, looking at on the X Files project. I don't think Jonathan and I would have known about it without being pointed in the right direction by our more technical colleagues. Um, so I think it is it is about it is about communication and and sort of regular communication because obviously you know you sort of make if you make a um an incorrect assumption early on and then just kind of carry on working you can potentially waste a lot of time going down a a, a blind alley uh and, and writing a lot of stuff that's actually not going to be very useful so um we've tried to sort of have this this ongoing dialogue with our colleagues who have the right sort of expertise to inform the ethics we're doing.
1: Okay. So like any other interdisciplinary project, uh, apparently communication is the key here. Jonathan, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Well, I I would echo that really. It's been very useful in writing our report. We've had frequent discussions with the computer scientists um, at our university. It certainly enabled us to write something which is much more policy focus, which isn't too abstract or speculative, which is grounded in the realities in which there are all, there's all sorts of criminal behaviour and serious questions about how that's going to be addressed. So it's certainly been productive for us, perhaps it's been productive for the computer science people as well, because it's been a process of, I hope, mutual learning. We have had to see our own discipline from the outside and to present what are sometimes quite technical concepts in a, you know, very clear and simple way. And I think that's a Good thing to have to do, not so dissimilar from teaching, I suppose. We've been teaching each other, and uh, you know, I hope the end result will be a kind of usable ethics, which is a report which can actually have some uh, impact on how the more technological side of this project is conducted, and ultimately, therefore, be lead to a more sort of ethical technology where we don't have a policy where merely something is practically possible technologically, it's therefore done because there's all sorts of constraints, clearly legal ones in all the different jurisdictions which XFAR has covered, but also related to that um, ethical one. So I think it's a, as in, as in society as such, it's a productive interchange between those two sides. And it's been certainly interesting to me, I think, Rebecca too, in you know, being part of that interchange.
1: Okay. And Jonathan, what do you think about this idea of challenges in, in a large H2020 project um, regarding ethics? And we can continue to use X-Files as an example.
2: Well, the H2020 projects are intended to address pressing social problems in European societies, or certainly this one. The way we have thought of it is there are different parties involved, principally law enforcement agencies and citizens who are, uh, for the most part, users of these very advanced um, mobile phones. But I think it's a mistake to pitch those two interests against each other, or only the interests of the manufacturers of mobile devices and the providers of networks. After all, as I was mentioning earlier, there are issues of accountability. And law most important agencies are ultimately working on behalf of citizens and gain their legitimacy from them. So, were they to overstep the mark in invading the uh, privacy of users of mobiles in their law and crime-fighting efforts, not to observe basic procedural safeguards, not to be as transparent as they feasibly can, then they really would have sort of passed over a boundary which um, exists for uh, for reason in a democratic society that they these organisations exist. Um, on our behalf. It's worthwhile, too, thinking that from the point of view of mobile manufacturers and the providers of networks, although on the one hand, they do have a clear interest in making sure their devices and networks preserve privacy, and that's why people will go out and buy them and um, use them. They also have other kinds of interests which are in some ways in conflict with them, not being associated with crime, for example, their own business uh, reputation. So. The ethical challenge is really when you have more than one kind of interest, which is in conflict or contradiction with the others, and you have to find some kind of balance between them, and you sort of list different policy options, which will strike that balance in different ways, allowing law enforcement agencies to uh, access data with the consent of mobile manufacturers, or sometimes this can even be done in in, in secret, which clearly impacts upon their um, accountability. Or simply keeping with the status quo, in which case it's going to be a lot of illegal, um, or maybe illegal hacking, or having a blanket ban, which is going to make on, on accessing encrypted data, which is going to make crime fighting efforts uh, much much more difficult. So it's really it's really a question of weighing these different interests against each other, um, which, as I've sort of indicated, are represented within these different bodies and not just between them, and trying to arrive at some kind of a reasonable compromise, which will do something to satisfy uh, all parties, and also, I suppose, which is, you know, legally actionable. We're not comprising an sort of abstract report, but these are different policy options which clearly we want to be actually translated into laws and regulations, which could be put to work in the in in, in the in the countries which um, Exiles
1: covers. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Rebecca, what do you have to say about challenges?
0: Yeah, I think that that's Jonathan's right. It's this, it's this tricky balancing act, um, and you know there, there's sort of trade offs involved in um, when you make decisions about whose whose rights should give way to whose, and sort of how you can get the best outcome, of sort of you know balancing all the different interests. And I think it's made it's made a little bit more complicated by, uh, I mean, th- this in a way is a sort of dispassionate analysis and i but i think it's when it comes to sort of how how the public are likely to respond to uh, decisions that are made in this area there's there's some sort of emotion involved as well you know people all the time we we sort of sign the uh, user agreements when we sign up to um social media websites and so on and we kind of in theory we tick the box saying we agree for them to use our data in various ways and yet there's still controversy when the uh those organizations do use our data in ways that might be sort of technically in line with the the terms that we've signed but which we still don't like or we, we haven't foreseen you know so, so people don't necessarily like the the balances that, that are being struck even if they don't necessarily see that there's a better option um you know I think that there's this sort of wider set of issues as well I think around you know sort of people especially we've seen in the last couple of years um, with, with the, uh, the sort of uh, investigations into the way that Facebook uses data um, there is uh, there are lots of people who who are disturbed by the way that our data is being used uh, by large organizations and the sort of intelligence with which it's been analyzed and the 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 surprising applications it's been it's been put to we're disturbed by all of that but yet we sort of continue to use these um the, these websites and so on so I think there's you know there's in one sense, you could you could address these issues by just sort of thinking, OK, let's think about the rights and how we can how we can strike the best balance uh, to keep as many people happy as possible. But on the other hand, there's this is sort of like public relations side of things that, you, you know, there is this emotional element involved. And there's sometimes um, a bit of irrationality about it. And you can't necessarily just respond to that by saying this is irrational, you know, because of things like uh, the uh, governments want to maintain public support, Um, political parties want votes, Um, law enforcement agencies care about the confidence of the public. Um, And this isn't always something that arises through rational arguments. It also arises through uh, emotions and, you know, trust and sort of who's, who we talk to, which groups we align ourselves to, um, which reddit discussions we've made, and we, we've read and so on, so I think it is it's a really tricky balance I mean I think sort of Jonathan and I i mean maybe this is a point about how much how much this sort of ethical analysis can do that we can sort of do this this overview of what the ethical issues are and and sort of uh, make some suggestions about what the various options uh, could be, but you know sort of how how the public might receive the the ultimate decision is, I think that that's that's a different matter.
1: Okay, yeah, it's clear.
2: Well, I I agree with that. I mean, because it is the public who ultimately have to make these uh, decisions, and we really are having an input into that. And I, I agree with Rebecca; we we have to take people as they are, with rationalities and strong feelings about issues of privacy and such like. Uh, not not as they might ideally be.
1: Exactly. Well, I think if anything else, we've learned today that uh, ethics in technology is is not an easy topic and it's not something necessarily easy to grasp, but, but... Hopefully, with our discussions today and with our future discussions, we can um, have a, maybe a little bit of a clearer picture. So I thank you too for coming on today and for sharing your knowledge about ethics and how it works in a technology project like this.
2: Thank you, Pisa. Thank you very much for having us.
1: The X-Files Project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Program under grant agreement number 883156.